Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Hey, learn about upcoming events, our podcast, daily devotional, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's study in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 called Identity Crisis. the passage together. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1. Does anyone of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6 2, that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is among you, uh, not among you, one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. May the Lord bless his word and may our hearts be receptive to what he has to say to us. The church in Corinth had an identity crisis as we've been learning as we've been going through the book. Pride was at the root of many of their divisions. They they had factions. They had carnality. They were allowing what even the pagans considered an egregious sin to happen, probably with a man within their leadership. They didn't deal with it. They seemed to be kind of, I wouldn't say kind of, they were sending a confusing message to the culture about who they were and what they stood for. Milton Berle was a a comedian of a generation ago, actor, comedian. He tells a story at the end of his career. He was being interviewed, and he was in a uh, senior citizen home, and people were recovering there and so forth. And he went there just to kind of try to bring some laughs to people. And he went into the room of a woman, and he was trying to get her to laugh, but she wasn't really with the program. So he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And she said, sir, no, I don't know who you are. But if you go to the front desk, I'm sure somebody can tell you. (laughs) I heard of a story where Tom Selleck was somewhere and this family uh, was talking to him about taking a picture. And he was like, oh, sure, I'll I'll take a picture with you guys. And they they were like, no, 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 no. We want you to take a picture of us. Sometimes we have a bit of an overinflated view of ourselves, right? We can make it all about us. Well, 
Ten times in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know? Six of those ten are actually in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. If you have a New Living Translation, it translates it this way, don't you realize? That's why I've come up with the title Identity Crisis. Because Paul essentially is saying to the Corinthians and by extension the Coronians through this letter, don't you know who you are? You see, until you know who you are, you won't know how to live. Once you know who you are, it helps you know how to live, especially if you know who you are now in Christ and even know your future. One of the examples of do you not know is found in chapter 6, verse 19, when Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? Don't you know that? And, and I would submit to you that maybe some of the Corinthians didn't know and maybe some of you don't either because the only way you know is you have to read God's word and a lot of us have seen the frightening statistics on biblical biblical illiteracy in our country but more than that uh, Shane tells a story when they were ministering in England they uh, they got the ability as a ministry team to go into the public schools and most of the kids in a public high school, I think, if I recall the story correctly, didn't even know the four Gospels. They knew nothing about the Bible. And I'm talking about nothing. And we've, we've shared together that we're concerned that the U.S. is on the heels of repeating the tragedy that we see in Europe right now. That people have no knowledge of the Bible. And by virtue of that, no knowledge of God. How sad. Well, the Corinthian church, maybe some of those people, maybe you are in a situation where you haven't gotten to know the manual very well, so you don't know how to live because you don't know what God's Word says. And I would say to you, and I've said this before, that I believe it's incumbent upon the church to teach God's Word, whether it's popular or not, whether it's convenient or not. We need to hear what God has to say. Now, once we hear what God has to say, then it's up to us to decide if we're going to live uh, what he has to say. The Corinthians were certainly young in the faith. They were immature to a large degree, and they were imbibing or embracing, once again, the values of the culture. Rather than bringing the truth of God into the culture, they were kind of becoming like the culture again. And one of the manifestations of that was that they were going into court against other believers and not over significant matters and we'll talk about that in a moment but it would seem from the language they were going to court over petty disagreements so they were going into the secular courts with unbelieving judges and there's some evidence from history that the Greeks loved to go to court but they didn't love to go to court necessarily to win a victory in terms of a compensation. They loved to go to court because it affirmed their social status as being higher than others. In fact, if you've ever studied the book of James, James says, is it not the wealthy that drag you into court? You can check out James 2, verse 6. And the wealthy had an upper hand in the courts, much like they do today, 
And judges were open to bribes. And even though the Apostle Paul, in some of the cases, like in the book of Acts, makes an appeal to Caesar, and in one, at one point he says, I'm a Roman citizen, it's not lawful for you to beat me. At the same time, Paul had some difficult experiences with the courts of the pagan times, with the Roman governors, etc. Felix the cat, or the rat, comes to mind. Felix was the governor. And the Bible tells us that Felix would often come to Paul as Paul was held in some form of Roman imprisonment, hoping that Paul would pay him a bribe. Well, if you were the governor, why would you need a Jewish Christian man to pay you money? Wouldn't you have enough money? But the Bible tells us that he was waiting and he would see Paul often hoping for a bribe. And I don't have to tell you that there's nothing new under the sun. In 1982, Warren Berger, the Chief Justice of the United States, said at that time, our reason, uh, one reason our courts have become overburdened is that Americans are increasingly turning to the courts for relief from a range of personal distresses and anxieties. He added, remedies for personal wrongs that once were considered the responsibility of institutions other than the courts are now boldly asserted as legal entitlements. The courts have been expected to fill the void created by the decline of church, family, and neighborhood unity. This author says these issues should be resolved within the church, within the context of the family, within the context of the neighborhood. Antonin Scalia, who served the court from 1986 until his death in February of 2016, he was the Associate Supreme Court Justice, made this observation. Get this, he said, I think this passage, talking about the one we just read, 1 Corinthians 6, has something to say about the proper Christian attitude towards civil litigation. Paul is making two points, says Scalia. Paul says that mediation of a mutual friend, such as a, the parish priest, or we could add a pastor, should be sought before parties run off to the law courts. I think we are too ready today to see vindication through adversary proceedings rather than peace through mediation. He goes on to say, good Christians, just as they are slow to anger, should be slow to sue, close quote. And so people in our culture who happen to be, in this case, in the highest court of the land, Look at the culture. Watch the people flooding into the courts. I did a quick Google search and uh, read, if I recall correctly, that there are 40 million uh, cases that are submitted to the courts annually. Just think about that for a second. 40 million. And we all have heard about the backlog in the courts. We've all heard of some of the ridiculous things that go on. We've all heard about even children now suing parents over silly stuff. We, we've heard the stories. And if you do enough research, you can find that, you know, Christians have sued other Christians. Churches have sued pastors. Pastors have sued churches. I, I remember coming across a story some years ago where a pastor and a church body had gone to court five times over different matters. And finally the pastor said, you know what, let's stop embarrassing our, ourselves and the Lord. Let's just stop. And usually when we go to court, it's because we, we want justice, right? Right? 
And there are legitimate times for that to occur. For example, in Romans 13, Paul says that the governing authorities are given by God. And there are times when it is right and just to go to court. And there are some reasons that you have to appeal to the courts because legally, that's your only recourse. We're not talking about something significant like that, like a criminal case. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from Scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text "step closer" as one word to 33222. Again, that's "step closer" as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called "A Step Closer," and you can text "step closer" as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. There are times when it is right and just to go to court. And there are some reasons that you have to appeal to the courts because legally, that's your only recourse. We're not talking about something significant like that, like a criminal case where even the church would have to say, if we had a criminal situation going on, abuse or neglect or even divorce proceedings really have to run through a court. But the language here would indicate not a criminal case, but civil, petty disagreements that were ending up moving from the church into the courts. And Paul's address here is in light of that. He says in verse 1, does any one of you, when he has a case, if you have an ESV, a grievance, verse 1, an IV, a dispute against his neighbor or against another, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? I'm sure that all of us could make our case of grievances. Uh, Maybe you are a person that could catalog just in the last week cases of grievances that you have against others. We could all build our case, right? The word for case here is pragma in Greek. In the papyri in ancient uh, history, it meant the sense of a lawsuit. Do any of you have a case? Can you make a case? Do you have a grievance? Have you been wronged? Maybe even this morning. (laughs) But Remember that the grievances here are not my boss or some unbeliever or some person in my neighborhood. The grievance here is literally Christian to Christian. And let's admit it because it's the reality that churches have been known to have infighting, gossip, petty differences, and things that do not become what we're supposed to be which is a redeemed, forgiven community trying to show the love of Jesus to others. Notice in verse 1 it says, 
If you have a dispute against your neighbor, one of the highest commands in all of Scripture, if not the highest, Jesus said it was the highest, was to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, sometimes we struggle right there. And by the way, that's a command. That's not a suggestion. That's the greatest commandment. If you were to really take the commandments of God and sum them down to one thing, it's to love God and to love others. It's to love God above everything else and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus took it a step farther when he said in John 13, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. How many cases could Jesus build against the disciples in the three, three and a half years he spent with them? How many cases could God build today in heaven against you? Things that we think, things that we lack to do. But sometimes what we do is we take everything as a personal affront. And we get ourselves in trouble because we don't see people in situations as God does. So they were going before the unrighteous. Notice in verse 1, the unrighteous seems to be a spiritual category. It's not... It could be the behavior of the unbeliever, but here it's that they don't have the righteousness of Jesus in end of verse 1, contrasted with saints. We are saints. If you're a Christian, you're a saint, not by virtue that you are so saintly, but because you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to your account. So you are a saint before God. You've been set apart by God. You've been made holy by the righteousness of God. Now, in both cases, of course, We want the behavior to follow. But the unrighteous would be those who do not know Jesus Christ. So they don't have the values of God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the wisdom of God. It's the justified Christians taking petty differences before the unjustified. New Living Translation says, when one of you has a dispute with, with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers. There are those who have looked at our court system in terms of uh, subjects like mediation and arbitration and say that it comes from Jesus' words in Matthew 18. When Jesus said in Matthew 18, if you have an issue with your brother, you go to them first privately and you, you talk to them about the grievance. You talk to them about the sin, whether it's against you or something that you see that is causing them to go down the wrong path. And if they hear you, you've what? You've won your brother. But if they won't listen, then you take two or three others. And then finally, there's a a strategy to open it up to a bigger group. But first, it's you going privately to protect their reputation. First, it's us dealing with one another in the context of individuals and then even the church. But let's face it, oftentimes we don't do that. And so the snowball goes running down the hill and we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, now it's become open for public consumption. Or sometimes what we do is we try somebody in the court of public opinion. Our identity as God's saints means that we are to display a different way of doing life, a different attitude. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, let everything that you do be done in love. How many of you have stayed home one day and turned on some of those court shows? You ever watch those court shows? And the, the deep music sound, and in comes the litigants of the, and, and, 
It's person A, and person A was ripped off for a $35 typewriter repair by person B. And they walk in, briefcase in hand, and, and the presiding judge is going to figure out if person A should reclaim the $35, the broken typewriter, and then you find out that their cousins or their former roommates... I want my $35. And they go on the people's court. Or they go to Judge, uh, what's her name again? Oh, oh, you guys know her, Judge Judy. Yeah. And isn't it funny? Because the people go and the judge just rails on them. I don't know how much they get paid for this. But isn't it funny? And, and people, you know, imagine if a secular judge in first century Corinth had two brothers walk into the court. Let's just imagine a scene for a second. And let's imagine that one biological brother is suing the other biological brother over a lawnmower. Uh, he, he borrowed my lawnmower back in June of last year, and he hasn't returned it yet. And, he, and then when I asked for it, he, he broke it. <laughs> wow. And I'm seeking... Uh, uh, well, I've had some emotional stress from it. And I'm seeking damages and lost time at work. <laughs> Can you imagine the judge? Really? Now imagine for a second that those two in the court are Christians. And a non-believing judge watches them argue over their lawnmower. Can you see why Paul's attitude is really... That's what you guys are doing? You're taking these petty, silly things, these disagreements before unbelievers? You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and this was part one of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 called Identity Crisis. Hey, just a reminder, one way we'd love to help equip you with God's truth is to answer your question right here on the program. Has someone asked you about your faith? or the Bible, and you weren't quite sure how to answer them? Well, Pastor Michael would love to help you get your answer. Email your questions to us. Visit walkintruth.com to email us or call and leave your question on a voicemail. Be brief and tell us where you're calling from. The number here is 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as we think about this text in 1 Corinthians 6, the question that's been asked is, is it ever okay for a Christian to sue another Christian, or anyone for that matter? Well, you know, in the Bible, let's let's work backwards. The Apostle Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship for protection. He did appeal his case before Caesar. Paul did stand before governors and kings in what appears to be a legal kind of situations or trials, if you will. And so there's a place for that. There's a place to make an appeal to the powers that be. If you are being hurt by another person, there's nothing wrong with making sure that you're protected. Of course, we need God's wisdom in everything. Now, if it comes down to another Christian, let's say uh, Christians get a divorce and they go to a secular court, let's say a brother of yours in the Lord with a fish on his business card came over. He did work and he messed everything up and you guys can't come to an agreement. How do we work on that? What do we do? 
Well, it's interesting to think about the fact that Paul said, I'd rather suffer the loss than take this to the secular courts. And that's a hard pill to swallow. If you've ever been hurt in this way or someone's not done the right thing and claimed to be a Christian, maybe you've looked for church leadership to try to, you know, bring some resolution and that hasn't happened. What do you do now? Well, I think this is something that you need a lot of prayer on, something that you would talk to a pastor about. And you know what? There's even a place where if a true brother has wronged you, there's even a place to say, Lord, I'm going to lay that at your feet and trust that you're going to take care of it. These are complicated matters. And I think this is where you need prayer and church leadership to walk you through it. Hopefully that helps with that question. Hey, I'd like to invite you out if you... uh I would love to come to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. We'd love to have you. We do two services on Sunday mornings at a nine at nine and eleven fifteen a.m. We have classes for the young ones, and we have a youth group, junior high, senior high, at the second service at the eleven fifteen a.m. service. Living Truth is the church behind Walk in Truth. We're in the city of Corona, and you can find out all the information about church services, Bible studies, things for the kids, teenagers, young adults. When you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store, look for the red logo with the pillars. Hey, a reminder that you can ask your Bible question at answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com, and we'll try to answer your question on the air. And ladies, a reminder that we have a monthly prayer meeting tomorrow morning at the church at Living Truth, and we would love for you to be part of that. You can find out all the information on the app, including the church services happening on the 24th. God bless you, and we will talk to you then. Come back Monday for more of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 called Identity Crisis. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all of you.